People love conspiracy theories because they need to think that there's some reasoning and rationale to the world. When in reality, most of the time, events are completely random. And even when they aren't, it's quite frankly just a bunch of morons doing stupid shit. With that introduction, let me tell you a story about pot. Not weed, but the ticker P-O-T. That stock symbol doesn't exist anymore, having been replaced by the more respectable IPI, but it used to represent the fertilizer giant Potash. During the commodity super cycle, Soros was long something in the region of 200 million of this company, and Vol was very high in it. So we tried to be a bit clever and sell calls against it. Selling calls is essentially a way to get paid rent on an asset. If the stock does nothing, you keep the premium. If the stock rallies, on the other hand, you have to deliver the shares, albeit at a higher price than you write the contract. Sounds like good business, huh? We use Goldman Sachs to execute on a synthetic transaction, choosing a strike of $105 on it. If at the end of expiration the stock trades there or lower, we get to keep the shares and the money, and boom, we beat the system. Life goes on until what is known as witching, when final contract prices are settled at the end of the day across all sorts of securities. Lo and behold, the stock closes at $105.01. We have to deliver the shares, something we don't really want to do. Goldman wins. The only thing that would make it worse would be if Goldman upgrades the stock, but they're already buy rated. The next trading day, they add it to their conviction buy list. No kidding. A completely random set of events at 4.01 p.m. on December the 18th, 2009. Let's go back a little further. Most people in finance are familiar with the following story, but I'm going to add a little local color to it. In 1999, the famous investor Stan Druckenmiller worked with George Soros and tried to pick a market top, selling short a basket of high-flying technology stocks. This was a mistake. The Quantum Fund promptly lost $600 million and started the year down around 20%. To climb out of that hole required enormous effort. Let's use a simple example to describe how deep this sort of problem can be. If you have $100 and lose 20%, you have $80. Make 20% back, you now only have $96, so you're still down 4%. Math is hard. So are markets. To find religion, Druckenmiller attended the Allen & Company conference in Sun Valley. Afterwards, he hired two portfolio managers who were not afraid to buy, in his words, all this radioactive shit that I don't know how to spell. One of the stock pickers, Diane, hailed from Texas and had the questionably appropriate resume of being the only female stunt pilot in the world. Regardless of this, or perhaps because of it, the strategy worked. Quantum ended the year up 35%. Druckenmiller remained uneasy, though, worried the bubble had to be in its seventh or eighth innings. Finally, he and Soros decided to sell all their tech stocks. Around the same time, they had lost more than a billion dollars on FX, and to add insult to injury, they had also missed out on a rise in oil prices that other macro funds were cashing in on. Meanwhile, the dot-com bubble kept inflating, and the two new portfolio managers he had hired were already up 50% on the year. This all drives Druckenmiller a little nuts. He finds himself picking up the phone to call the trading desk, and then putting it back down again. He's an emotional basket case. Eventually, he can't help himself and instructs us to buy $6 billion worth of tech stocks. Six weeks later, we had lost $3 billion from that one phone call. 
The trading desk didn't actually give a shit about this high-level drama that gripped the press at the time and much of the mainstream media since. What we cared about was being unemployed. With nothing to lose, behavior on the trading desk became increasingly erratic. And one day, I spent the afternoon talking to a topless girl on the rooftop of the building opposite George Soros' office. Upon my return to the fishbowl, to the jeers of the traders around me, the phone rings and it's human resources. I think they're going to fire me on the spot. But instead, they say George is coming down to the trading desk. Sure enough, George wandered down, the first time I had laid eyes on the man, and offered me a job. That probably sounds amazing, but it's not easy knowing you owe your entire career to other people's stupidity. I probably met George a handful of other times while I worked there, but spoke to him on the phone hundreds of times, and never heard him raising his voice to anyone. He always treated even the most junior employees with courtesy and respect. He also seemed to have a good sense of humor. I recall one time he approached us with a grin to say he heard we imitate and tease him on the trading floor, and that he'd like to hear some of our impersonations. A man who can laugh at himself is truly blessed, for he will never lack for amusement. Some people need the simplicity of believing in the boogeyman. Soros often fulfilled that simplicity. But remember, most events are completely random and, quite frankly, just morons doing stupid shit. If it wasn't Soros making 30% a year, it'd be another titan getting credit for it in the media. People like to think of him as some great colossus spreading his tentacles over their lives and the market, while in reality he was making investment decisions based on backaches and spending his spare time throwing lampshades at strippers. Reflexivity aside, the market is too big for one man to have any meaningful impact on it in the longer term. In any case, back in the 1990s, Soros had to hire someone just to change the symbol on his Quotron. His head trader back then was afraid of email. When they first put it on his computer, he's like, what is this thing? Get it off me. Hardly the stuff of great conspiracy. People on Wall Street all think they are so smart, but they get the most important thing in life wrong. They don't understand that the only truly valuable thing in life is time. It's the only thing that is not replenishable. You can always make more money, but you can never get more time. They're living an illusion that life will go on forever. George didn't get that wrong. He made his money and then moved on to make a real difference in education and politics. He helped collapse communism in Eastern Europe, wrote books on philosophy. He was a supporter of the First and Second Amendments and led the effort to end the reprehensible drug war that our government launched on its own citizens. You may not like how he decided to spend his time, but this is America. He didn't give a fuck what you think.